Welcome to the latest episode of The Wharton Current. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Teague Egan, founder and CEO of Energy X. In this episode, we dive into how Teague started a lithium extraction company, and this was a new industry for him and the persistence it took to make it happen, the role of lithium in the energy transition, how Energy X is working with the government of Bolivia to run pilots of their technology, and Teague and I also get into our views on why there aren't more green tech companies in Bolivia and what might need to change for a community of green tech startups to grow there. About halfway through the episode, I also give a brief aside on the history of Potosi and natural resources in Bolivia and how that affects the current conversation around lithium in the country. This was added in afterward to give extra context and history, in part because this history is one of the things I personally find most important and interesting in the conversation about natural resources and the energy transition in Latin America and Bolivia in particular. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Wharton Current. I am your host, Angel Barrett-Johnson, and I'm joined today by Teague Egan, the founder and CEO of Energy X. Welcome to the podcast, Teague. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting to have you here today. So, Teague, you recently were in a major article in the New York Times, and I'm curious to hear later how that has impacted people's awareness of what Energy X is doing. But for those who are not aware of who you are and what you do, can you share an overview of what Energy X is up to? Yeah, absolutely. So first, the article you're referring to, the New York Times article, got us tremendous exposure. It was the leading story on the front page of the New York Times. So that was pretty cool. And it basically covered the whole company. So for all the listeners out there that haven't read that, go check that out. But EnergyX is a lithium extraction, processing, and battery technology company. We're focused on the base materials that go into batteries and energy storage systems that push forward the energy transitions. So, you know, the energy transition is, I guess, relatively new. You can say it's, you know, 10, maybe 20 years old, but these things take a long time to fully transition. And I noticed uh, a major gap in the supply chain that was these base battery materials, specifically lithium. Lithium is something that is critical to batteries and e-mobility, electric vehicles, and the lithium supply chain has not fully or really anywhere near matured. There's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, there's a lot of room for improved efficiencies. There's a lot of room for costs to be cut and to improve the processes in which we produce lithium uh, and then process it into final end user battery grade materials. So that's a quick overview of EnergyX. Awesome. And there's a pretty great story in how you got the idea to start the company. Do you want to share that story a little bit? Of course. It's uh, it's a pretty wild story, actually. I was just traveling in South America, but my, my travel style is a little more unique. I kind of pop into places and try to see like the coolest things in those places. I like to kind of hit the untraveled path. And so my travels took me down to Bolivia and I went to this huge salt blast. It's called Salar de Uyuni. It's actually the world's largest salt blast, 4,000 square miles. And it's an absolutely beautiful place. Like the, the salt is crystal white as compared to some other salt flats where the dust turns all the salt brown. This is just pure white for as far as the eye can see. And I'm on this tour and the kind of the reason I went down there was to take some cool Instagram pictures. 
And our tour guide starts telling us about how this is not only the world's largest salt flat, but also the world's largest lithium reserve. And that was my aha moment. I said to myself, the future of the energy transition is going to rely on lithium. And this is the world's largest lithium reserve. Like it felt like I was standing in the middle of Saudi Arabia in the 1940s when like you know, oil was becoming prominent and I knew that I had to get involved. I didn't know how, I didn't know what I was going to do, but my entrepreneurial mindset took over and I said, I'm going to start a company based on lithium. That's, that's what I did. <laughs> so you're on the salt flats in Bolivia and you are having this realization that there's this huge opportunity there. Lithium is there and you know how important it's going to be. How did you get from that point to starting a company. I feel like there were a few steps in between there. Of course there are a few steps in there, but that was like, I mean, that was, that was the problem that I was like, so this is where all the lithium is, right? The world's largest resource. And we're going to need a lot of it, right? So that was, that was the, the answer that was kind of fulfilling, right? But what I did immediately was I started to research lithium, like how much is the total demand today? What is the projected demand and how is it currently produced? Is there room for improvement? I mean, there's a million different ways to start a business, right? My, my mindset is more along like innovation and engineering type of type of way. So I was led to developing technology that can improve the actual production process. But there's different aspects of business like you could have started a financial firm around the trading of lithium, right? Or or created an index around lithium funds. So in 2018, the price of lithium went up to like 18, $20,000 a ton. And then by 2020, it had crashed down to seven or $8,000 a ton. Everybody was scared. In 2021, it went from $8,000 a ton. Today, the spot price of lithium is $48,000 a ton. So there's volatility in it, but there's huge room if you are a lithium trader or investing in lithium indexes or to create a lithium index, I mean, there's a million different ways to think about the opportunity that lithium pr presents because of how much future demand is required to build electric vehicles. But for me, I looked at the actual production process of how lithium is currently made or, or extracted out of the, out of the earth. And I saw huge room for disruption and improvement. So lithium's currently produced the majority through these massive evaporation that is a, is a pretty inefficient process. It takes a long time, it has low recovery rates. And I said, there has to be a better way to do this. I mean, you're literally using technology that was created by yeah, the ancient pharaohs of Egypt. Like this is thousand year old technology. Like why don't we apply state-of-the-art technology through means of like mechanical extraction? You know, the way that we can, my, my, this is actually exactly what I thought to myself. I said, if we can turn salty ocean water into fresh drinking water using membrane filtration, then why can't we use that same type of filtration to separate just the lithium out of these salt brines? So that's kind of the process that I started, that I tried to replicate. It was something that's extremely well known. I just took it and repurposed it for what my application was. Yeah. So you got connected to some scientists, I understand, who had been doing research in new membrane technology that could be applied to this extraction process. Can you share more about how you found them? And once once you found them, what was that conversation 
like in terms of saying, hey, you have this potential technology. I have no idea of how it can be applied. But what were those conversations like? And how did that get you to the point where you were like, oh, maybe we we really have a company here. We have a technology here that can be so much more effective on this really important problem. The way that I found these scientists was I started reading <laughs> and I, I actually never done this before, but I started reading scientific papers. These are like tedious papers. Sometimes researchers are lucky. Their papers will be translated into articles. I mean, everybody reads articles, right? But I actually read the scientific papers that are published in these journals, like science and nature. So I read, I started reading about lithium and these academic papers and it led me to this professor, at the University of Texas, who was part of the Energy Institute. And the Energy Institute at Texas is one of the top energy institutes in the world. And this professor specifically is the director of a center called Materials for Water and Energy Technology. So it's like, I was like, no, this is, fits the description of what I'm looking to, to do pretty well. So I just cold emailed the professor and, you know, half the battle in entrepreneurship is just reaching out and making connections and trying to open doors. And I emailed the professor. Um, I think I had emailed like two or three times actually before he responded to me, but I set up a call and I told him what I was thinking about and I set up a meeting and flew out to Texas. I think that was the first time that I ever went to Austin was to meet with this professor and he brought two of his PhD students who were working on the technology in his group at the time and I had to sell myself. I told him about my idea, I told him about my background and I told him that I was the guy that could make it happen. And you know, that, that's what started me down my path. After that, he said, well, you know, I'm working on this technology with a few colleagues in Australia. You know, that's not always the case, but he basically made me fly out to Melbourne and went and met with all the all the uh, colleagues that he was working on this technology with out there and then had to go through the same thing to sell them on who i was and what i wanted to do and then from there i had to fly back down to south america and make sure that i essentially had customers that were interested in this technology like there's there's kind of two there's two thought processes in starting a company that's based on technology one is I'm going to create this awesome technology and try to find an application for it. The other is I'm going to solve a problem and create a technology to solve this specific problem. And I am much more of the latter. I just think that it's too hard to kind of create a cool technology and see who wants it. So what I decided I needed to do before I started investing all this money is make sure I had a product market fit. So I went back down to South America. I knocked down a bunch of doors and tried to meet with the lithium producers who would wind up being my biggest customers and say, Hey, I have this technology. Is this something you'd be interested in? And they said, yeah, you know, like this is real. Like this is something that would help us out greatly. So then I went back to university of Texas and I said, I started the company and I have the customers, let me license this technology from you. And it took me nine months to negotiate the license for the first time that I met with a professor to when I actually, you know, signed the, the licensing agreement and I'd never done a licensing agreement. I had to hire a lawyer, you know, get some representation on what a good deal was and negotiate the business side and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun. You know, every, everything that I'm doing now is like the first time that I've ever done this stuff. It's kind of just going with your gut and, and trying to figure out what the right thing to do is there's no playbook or anything like that. Like I didn't know that my company would be based off uh, licensed technology when I was first down in the salt flats. Like 
And I don't know what tomorrow or the next month holds of where, you know, I have a roadmap and things like that, but like, you never know when your company is going to take a turn and focus on something new or a deal is going to pop up. Like the New York times article has opened so many doors that I never thought would have been open and people calling me and uh, you know, it's exciting to, to wake up every day, and be able to not know what the day or the week ahead holds. Right. What? What are some of those doors that are being opened? I wish I could, I wish I could tell you, <laughs> but uh, I don't no, like to talk about deals before they're closed. You know what I mean? With these customers that you were meeting down in South America, was that in Bolivia? Yeah. So Bolivia is one of them. There are customers throughout the Lithuanian Triangle in Argentina and Chile as well, but Bolivia was Bolivia to me was always the goal. You know, that's where the largest lithium resource in the entire world is. It has about 25% of, of world's lithium. And that was my golden goose. And that was, that's what I pursued the hardest. And I kept going down there and just trying to, try to meet and trying to push it forward. And I got no traction for literally two and a half years during the former administration under Evo Morales. And then finally I caught a break and this guy approached me uh, again out of the blue. He I was re he was a professor at Texas A and He at the time was an advisor to one of the candidates running for president in 2020, a gentleman named Luis Arce, and he got in touch with the professor at University of Texas, who is the inventor of my core technology and is the chairman of our science advisory board. So the, the relationship made its way to me and Luis Arce ended up winning the presidency. And this gentleman was his advisor and was helping to look for technologies that could help Bolivia extract their lithium. So I ended up catching that lucky break just out of the blue and flew back down there for the inauguration and started to meet some of the ministers of energy and people that were kind of running the show down there and started to build relationships and it was it just kind of reminded me of like my persistence like i was trying and trying and trying and, and making no progress and but you can never stop trying you know and then finally i caught my breaks and you know if i would have given up on bolivia like who knows where the company would be right now but that was my goal and, I, and i'm gonna make it happen no matter what yeah it's an incredible story because it's one huge hurdle to have a technology that is innovative, that's effective. Like that's one accomplishment. And it's it's a whole other set of accomplishments to have built those relationships with the administration in Bolivia and to be having so much traction now with those energy ministers. Could you describe some of the projects that you are getting to do in Bolivia because of those relationships? I understand that you have some work with the state lithium company and would love to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, starting a company really have to address all aspects of the company, right? Like if I just had a cool technology or like an innovative technology, like cool, you know, that's lots of people with cool technology or even, you know, there's lots of people with cool ideas, right? Turning it into a technology is one thing, getting the customers is another, raising the funding is another, getting the marketing and awareness out, like you know, getting front page in the New York times, like that took me, <laughs> like, you have no idea how hard that was. Like that was, you know, I have my list of, of like goals written out and 
I was at the very top New York Times and I kept pounding my marketing team, like, get this, get this, get this. And I was, you know, building out from smaller ones and I'm literally just pestering them like over and over and over, sending in op-eds and, you know, trying to figure out any way to get to the right people who are, would find my story interesting. Right. But as far as Bolivia, the way that the process started to unravel was once this president got elected, he, he totally changed the mindset of Bolivia's approach, how they were going to attempt to start producing lithium. Prior to him, they were trying to do it all themselves and they were trying to develop their own technology and they weren't open to working with international firms who had expertise on this. So when President Arce came into power, first I'm going to hire my, my cabinet, like so we got his his energy minister in place. And then they got the vice minister of high energies, which includes lithium experts, and they built their, their lithium experts. But then what they did is they held an international lithium seminar and invited a handful of companies to come present their technologies. Uh, so they started to kind of create momentum within the country that we're going to open our borders and, and try to bring in the best technologies that can help us, right? In Bolivia, you're always battling politics, right? The people, you know, think on the streets and what the, the regional governments think, it all matters a lot, right? So they need to create momentum at all levels. So they hold this international lithium seminar and they get companies from China and Russia and Argentina and us to come present our technology, right? Then they held an open tender for any, any company around the world to submit an application of why they should pilot their technology. So then YLB, which is the state run lithium company selected a handful of, and it had all this criteria that you needed to meet, right? We had to, I mean, we sent in a hundred page application. Then they selected a handful of companies to actually pilot their technology. And that's the stage that we're in now. So we have our like fully containerized pilot unit in the fields at the lithium um, mine down in Bolivia. And the proof is in the pudding, you know, we have to show them, hey, this technology can actually help you. And so we're, we're in the process of piloting our technology right now down there. And then from there, we'll just go step by step. There's, there's no real set in stone path of, of you know, they'll, they'll do the evaluation and we'll test, test the results. And then we'll go from there on, on what next steps may look like in some sort of commercial arrangement if everything, you know, checks out to their liking. Yeah. So is the, the model would then be that the state lithium company would be your client. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand, you know, you were referencing this, that there have historically been a lot of tensions in the local community regarding the use of natural resources in the area, particularly lithium. And there's some really important historical reasons for that. So as an aside to listeners, there's a bit of history that I think will be helpful to share here. So the history that we're referencing is particularly about the mine at Potosí in Bolivia. Potosí was a silver mine that was taken over by the Spanish around 1546. And then over the next 200 years, more than 40,000 tons of silver were taken out of that mine and shipped from Potosí to Spain 
which made the Spanish Empire one of the richest that the world had ever seen. 40,000 tons is a hard number for me to wrap my mind around. So as an example of how much silver that really was, the volume of silver that came out of Potosi became the foundation of Spain's and Europe's trade with Asia, especially China, during that time. And there was so much silver that was taken from Potosi that enabled so much trade between Europe and Asia that silver became the primary currency in China and even became the currency that was used for taxation of rural farmers during the Ming dynasty. And most of that silver came from Potosi, came from this mine. And at the height of Potosi's operation, over 160,000 people lived in the city, all of whom were there to mine or to support the mining activity and most of whom were there as forced laborers through the Mita system, where people were forced to travel hundreds of miles to labor for the Spanish. And they were subject to really terrible conditions, like really, really terrible conditions. And it's hard to give a short description of the significance of Potosi in Bolivian history and in world history. So with that context, there is concern among a lot of people that history is going to repeat itself with the natural resources that are in Latin America, particularly lithium. There are a lot of natural resources in Argentina, in Chile, in Bolivia, in Peru. And these minerals are required for the energy transition. And they're really valuable. And a lot of people are concerned that although Bolivia has the resources that will power massive economic growth, it will not see the benefit of that growth, just as what happened with Potosi, where the people in Bolivia really didn't see the benefit of their very valuable silver. And the salt flats that we talk about in this podcast are right next to Potosi, which underlines the potential parallel in this dynamic. So there's a lot of stuff to chew on here. I've put a link to an article in the show notes that gives more information on this history, which I think is really fascinating and really important for understanding the context of what is going on with mining, with the rights and usage of natural resources in Latin America for the energy transition in particular. How are you all engaging with the local community to address those tensions, to build relationships there? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to money and economics, right? The local people feel that this is their resource and they want to share in the wealth and prosperity that, create, that it creates, right? And, and rightfully so, you know, Bolivia has in a way been, been plundered by like historically, right? And that mindset that sits with these people, like there was a big thing with their silver and, you know, all their silver got taken and exported and, and the people didn't prosper from it, right? Treating people fairly, uh, treating local governments, like in the region, Potosi, and treating the people uh, of that region fairly. And if, if you, do things fairly, then just have to worry. That being said, as far as what Energy X is doing for community relations, I don't necessarily think that that's our job. Like we are a technology company that's trying to come in and just help them produce lift, right? And if we can do that, 
then we deserve to make our fair share, the revenue or the profits that are created and the people of, the, of that region deserve to make theirs. That being, that being said though, I do have plans to try to create goodwill from the people. You know, they, they, they're, they're always on edge, right? Because of the past and, and they don't want people, they don't want international companies to come in and take advantage of them. So, you know, first hiring, uh, locals to operate our pilot facility. So already creating jobs in the region. I'm doing interviews with local news and telling them about our story and how we got here and just letting them know that we're here to help them. Uh, if they, if Bolivia doesn't produce any lithium, no money comes into Bolivia. It's as simple as that. If EnergyX can help Bolivia produce lithium, lots of money comes into Bolivia and then those people prosper. So and that's kind of the overall broad message. I'm, I'm thinking about more, more detailed strategies, like kind of taking pictures with some of the soccer team players and like kind of promoting that, like I'm a soccer fan and, and Bolivia is big on their soccer, kind of like repping a Bolivia soccer jersey is, is an idea that was floated around. Just letting them like, basically that goes back to my first point, letting them know that I support Bolivia and that I want to help Bolivia. That's, that's all that I can do. Right. You know, I am doing this, this joint master's in international studies focused on Latin America and then also my MBA here at Wharton and I'm doing that to work on financing for the energy transition but I'm so passionate about what that can be in Latin America and there's so much potential in Latin America for the energy transition to be a huge economic driver but that potential really hasn't been realized yet but they have the raw materials. They have the lithium and other materials that are going to be powering the energy transition. And I'm really excited to see where that can go. But, right, that potential hasn't been realized. Exactly. So yeah. much potential. So much potential. And it all comes down to executing to realize that potential, right? You have all these different people with different interests that are fighting politically or whatever, whatever it may be. It's just about cutting through all the bullshit and executing to realize the potential. From your experience working there for a few years now, what do you think would need to be done or changed that could build up a community of more energy transition companies based in Bolivia, in Chile, in Argentina, in the Lithium Triangle or in the region more broadly? I think the answer to that is, is it comes with a proven track record of stability. You, you, I guess for the most part have stability in Chile, and that's why some of the largest lithium producers operate in that country. Uh, there's been kind of a little shake up in the past few years around that when people are trying to rewrite parts of the constitution. And now you have this new president, uh, a young president who's coming in and that creates kind of. Uh, a little uncertainty, uncertainty creates fear, but I think that it all comes down to, okay, can this country prove that it will have stability year after year, after year, after year, right? And if you can show a proven track record of stability, then over time that incentivizes more investment to come in, right? It, it, it kind of takes a few wildcatters and people with high risk tolerance like myself to come in at the very early stages 
But if we can prove successful and then slowly over time, they show stability and they start producing lithium and they treat us fairly and they don't nationalize and things like that, then attract more investment to come in. And then that's how you kind of build up your economy with international investment coming in. Yeah. But would you say that the biggest limiting factor has been investment or is it something else? Oh, absolutely. It's investment. I mean, if, if you don't have foreign investment coming in, how are you supposed to grow your economy? It's all about exporting goods that are valuable and having foreign investment come in. And you know that's a result of stability and things like that. That makes sense. I think I've also seen that there's a lot of money sloshing around that wants to invest in the clean energy transition, in young companies. But at a certain point, I think that I think we're hitting, there's more funding than there are companies. And so I've wondered whether the limiting factor, especially in Latin America, is more that there aren't there just aren't people starting companies. And then why? And part of it seems to be that there isn't a, an existing community of people who can support each other in starting those companies. Like when you're working in Bolivia, it seems like you're not exactly surrounded by a ton of green tech companies that are yeah. together <laughs> with you. That's kind of true. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation. But I think that also has to do with some of the country policy. You know, in the U.S., we have a, we have a huge society of entrepreneurship. I mean, the U.S. is by far the most innovative country in the world to ever exist, right? So if you're comparing it to the U.S., then yes, there's not as many entrepreneurs that are starting companies and things like that. But there are companies down there. You know, I've had tons of interesting people reach out to me now from Bolivia after the New York Times article, and I'm going down and actually meeting with an electric vehicle company in Bolivia called Mobi, M-O-B-I, and they're, they're looking to make little small, uh, smart electric cars down there. And yeah, that's a very exciting company that you would never think would come from Bolivia, right? Um, so... I'm so excited to go look them up now. Yeah. So what is next for Energy X? You said you have a roadmap, you have some pilots, you have some customers, you have funding. I know that you all have been working on scaling in the last year. What does the future hold? So the way that I think about the roadmap in the future is purely execution. And I have to work. 16 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and just continue to execute, continue to execute to be, to be successful. And right now, the thing that is our critical path is executing on this pilot down in Bolivia. And I'm actually headed down to Bolivia tomorrow to finish the installation of the pilot and start the testing for three to six months. So I think in terms of roadmap on my daily goals and what I have like literally on my to-do list, I think about my weekly goals. I think about my monthly goals and then like six month year. And then of course on my, on our website, we have our 10 year master plan, right? Which is very broad, high level goals that I set out for the company in, in 2019. What that involves is establishing a direct lithium extraction business, starting to generate revenue from that because that's the most mature part of our company. 
use profits from that to develop solid state batteries. I think next generation batteries will supercharge the energy transition and then use revenue from that to create a variety of technologies that can further push the energy transition forward. So bringing it back from the 10 year high level view to six months right now, execute on this pilot that we have done in Bolivia as well as deploy additional pilots to the other two countries in the Muslim Triangle, Argentina and Chile, uh, and start acquiring the customers. It will ultimately be our customers for direct lithium extraction. From there, in six to 12 months, we're already working on scaling. So what's the next step after the pilot? That's a demonstration plant, which is one full commercial unit of our technology that can be replicated in a modular fashion. So we're starting to plan for our scaling and commercialization efforts. We're hiring more people to do that. We're expanding into a larger facility to start acquiring the, the machinery and the equipment necessary for scaling. So that's kind of how I think about the roadmap over the next three, six, 12 months. It is so exciting to hear about where you've been and where you're going. Uh, and I'm excited to follow along on the journey. Thank you so much, Teague, for coming on the podcast today. It was great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. We got to do it again soon. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Teague as much as we did. Make sure to follow us on Instagram to stay current on the Wharton Current. And feel free to reach out and connect with me or any of the other co-hosts.